so this is a very difficult peric. Um, it's a difficult peric for many reasons, but um, yeah. We're going to do our best. Before we start, just to say that, uh, of course, everything we do, uh, all the learning should be in the school of our people who are in trouble. Everybody should come home safely. And... Um, Hashem uh, should make a Yeshua as in days of old. Okay, so we're up to Perak Chafet. Chafet is just where the the line is crossed, where Shol HaMelech um, goes deeper into his uh, decline his spiritual deterioration. And it's kind of after Perkhafet, there's kind of no way back for Shaul. And it's uh, it's a sad story. So without further ado, we're going to screen share. Okay, so first of all, we'll look over here for a moment. We see here, if you look at this text, right, we have here one, two, three, four, we have a bunch of paragraphs, but it's presented as if it's one long story. I would prefer to break it up into three parts. And the way I break it up is the first part is David kind of um, setting into place his uh, his method of dealing with the new reality that he has to deal with. And we'll see there's a few interesting parts of that. And then there is the, the main section, which is um, Shaul finding out um, from Doeg that David had been in Nov and the consequences of that um, bit of Lashon Hara. And the end, the last few psukim starting here is sort of the aftermath of the Nove episode and the uh, survivor of Yatar comes to David. Okay. So. Vasek Aleph. Now, Misham, from there, we have to go back and see where is he coming from. And if you recall, at the end of Parakhaf Aleph, we have the actual time when David goes to Gat. Now, David is going to do something similar in Chafet. It's a very strange situation. Like, why are you going to these enemies? And it seems that we have to understand that the rationale is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. In other words, because David has now 
making a basically an official break from Shaul, that he is now considered a rebel against Shaul. And so people who are in a, you know, uh, a battle with Shaul can take him as an ally. That is the thought. Now, when he goes to God, he picks the wrong place because Goliath's brothers are not too happy to see him. When we saw this whole episode last time, David gets out of it by pretending to be crazy. A very, um, probably one of the uh, strangest psukim in the Tanakh, where the king says, you see this guy is crazy. Don't I have enough crazy people? This guy's a nutcase. I don't want to see him. Get him out of here. And the beginning of Perkhapet is the reaction to that. David goes from there. The Medrash says, first he walked. He was afraid that they might uh, be on to him and his ruse. And as soon as he was able to, he he fled. He actually ran. Now, one of the things that happens in the following chapters from 22, basically to the end of Shmuel is that David is wandering around a lot. And we, uh, we need to kind of see that. I found a nice map for you, the atlas.nikra, nice and colorful. It's hard to follow a little. Look how much he is crisscrossing. But the first thing you have to understand is that David has to leave Binyamin territory. So if we look at our regular map, you see this area is Binyamin. That is Giva, it's Parama, Rushalayim. North Rushalayim is Binyamin territory till today. You see all the buses that go uh, north, they say Binyamin, Mate Binyamin. And South Rushalayim is Yehuda territory. All the areas of, you know, Bethlehem, what's today, Ephrat, Hebron. The Gush, all of that is Yehuda territory. So David is going to be leaving, right? He leaves, let's go back to this map, which is more specific. It's in Hebrew, but you follow. David is here in, I'm sorry, follow my pointer. He's here in No, which is slightly north of Yerushalayim. We said that it's sort of Neveyakov kind of area and give ah all these places and give on, which is right. Um, on the other side of the hill where I live now, Kibatzev. And he goes from there to Gat. Now he leaves Gat and he goes to Adulam. Now the Adulam was mentioned back in Bracious, if you remember, that Yehuda, when he leaves his brothers after the sale of Yosef, he's kind of not in a good place with his brothers. He goes to a man who's an Adulami. These places, this is Yehuda territory, South Yerushalayim, these places were full of caves and you know great hiding places so this was a logical place for David to go so this is Marat Adulam southwest of Beit Lechem which is over here and this is where he finds himself and it makes sense for him to go to Huda territory because this is his family this is his tribe these are the people who will be supporting him as a matter of fact when we go later on we find out that David is king for 40 years, from the age of 30 to 70. And the first seven years, he's king of Yehuda. 
And it's interesting that after Shaul dies, the children of Israel don't take David right away as a king, but his tribe takes him as a king. The, the people of Binyamin take Shaul's son, Shibosheth. But we'll, we'll get to that, Ezra Tashem. Anyway, back to the text. Now, this is what happens. There's this kind of weird tendency um, that we see in the Tanakh. It's not really a Jewish thing, but, you know, we do see this, that when one person, when a kingship or leadership is contested, so the whole family on the other side or the wrong side are a problem because they might be endangered. So David's family feels themselves exposed now to Shaul's wrath. And there's his brothers in the house of his father go down to the cave of Adullam there. They want to get away from Shaul's wrath. So now we have a, an interesting thing that's going on. David has settled himself with his family in the caves of Adullam, in the territory of Yehuda. And this is removed from Shaul's influences to a certain extent. So he becomes a magnet for people who are disaffected from the current government. In other words, <clears throat> there are people who are not getting along with Shaul for different reasons. So Ishmatsok, we have the concept of Mitsuka. Mitsuka is stress, distress, a trouble. People who are in trouble come to David. We call Isha Shelo Nosheh. This is also spelled in other places with a, with a hey. A man who has a creditor. We have the, the concept of <clears throat> we beat. If you someone um, has lent money and um, the debtor is not able to pay it back, so he might find himself in a very difficult position. So he's going to be one of these people's one of these people who wants to go to Ish, Mar Nefesh. Mar Nefesh, he's, he, it's bitter of spirit. We saw that Hannah says to Eli, right, you know, Ishak uh, Shat uh, Ruach. Earlier we've had her describe this, Marat Nefesh. Bitterness of spirit is like a, a misery, a, a, an unhappiness. These people were very um, troubled why things were going on, and they found in David a natural leader. By he Masar. Now David has been a Sar, he's been a Sar Elef, which is really a high rank. Um, but now he's the one in charge. So we begin to see, we'll see by the end of the parak, we'll see that David's now developing an entire court. First he has his family, and then he has these people who support him, and he's their leader. And it turns out that he has 400 men. Now we have to pay attention to these, these numbers. When was the last time we saw someone with 400 men? And I think that you probably remember, you know, uh, in Bracious, who comes greeting Yaakov with 400 men? Esau. 
So there's something, uh, what is that 400 men situation? Now, later on, we find out that he, he gets another 200 and he has 600 men. But there's something at this 400 number that should sort of jump at, at you. Like, what's going on here? And there are other ace of comparisons. And that is, of course, the idea that David is Admoni, which we saw back in Perak Tetzayin in chapter 16. He's Admoni. And what does that mean? That there are parts of David that are similar to Asaph. Of course, the contrast is disturbing in many ways, but it also shows you what a great person David was. Because if he had within him these kind of, you know, admoni tendencies, ace of like tendencies, he's certainly able to overcome any of the negative qualities and, you know, become a, a, a truly great person. It's an interesting thing to ponder, right? It definitely, in this case, the comparison is is very, very much in David's favor. So, what's a gimel? Vayelach David misham mitzpei Moab. Vayomel melch Moab. Yitzena Aviv ibi itchem ala sheida mayasel yelokim. And David goes, remember our map, from there to Mitzpe Moab. Now it doesn't say here where's Mitzpe Moab, but this is Moab. So if uh, this is the Dead Sea, right? So right across from the Dead Sea is the hills of Moab. And of course, David does have a connection to Moab because his great grandmother is a Moabite. And perhaps that's what he's thinking. He has his parents with him and his parents are probably not young people. If you recall back in chapter 16 and 17, when Yisha is um, is mentioned, he's Zakain Bab Anashim. He's an old man, very, very well respected. And his mother's probably not so young either. And they're hiding out with him in this cave. So David decides that an appropriate place to find them protection right, is in Moab. And this is a very problematic story, as we're going to see. I'll show you the Rashi here. Okay. Um, okay, so the Malbim has a comment. David and his people were in the Mitsuda. There was danger of war. And he figured that he would put his parents in a safer place. He guided them. He placed them before the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the days that David was in the Mitsuda. Now, Rashi makes a comment here. When David leaves the Mitsuda, and he, he makes a comment which is strange if you look at the map, he says that Mitsuda was near Moab, and it's very hard, near Mitzpah Moab. So this must be. Um, somewhere much further south is Mitsuda. We don't know exactly where it is. It's not here on this map. But Rashi says when he left the Mitsuda and he goes to Ir Haret, that's in the next Pasuk, right? Harag Melech Moabet Avivet Moabet King of Moab killed his parents and his brothers. Chutz except for one brother who was saved by Nahashamoni, the king of Ammon, 
And this is the chesed that David mentions later in chapter 12, Shmobet, that his father did chesed for me. Okay, let's just stop for a second and explain this story. Okay. First of all, if you remember Nachash Amoni, the last time we saw Nachash Amoni, and, and let's not forget that Nachash, king of Amon, is probably a generic term, just like Abimelech is king of Gwar, king of the Plishtim, and Paro is king of the Egyptians. So the king of Amor in chapter 11 came to the people of Yavish uh, Gilad and said, you guys, you're all going to be our slaves and we're going to put out everybody's right eye. If you recall this horrific, nasty person. And this is the person that saves David's brother. Now, according to the Radak, okay, Radak doesn't agree with this. And he says, um, his brothers didn't go with the parents. He says, no, the brothers were staying with David, and that actually makes sense, uh, because why would they need to sit in protection? They were all warriors. It makes sense that they would be together with David. But the Mendra says that they got killed by the king of Moab, and one was saved by the king of Ammon, which makes no sense whatsoever. And these are really evil people. So why does the king of Moab, and the Mendra says, if, you, if we follow this, so we don't have really have time to go into it, we follow how, you know, uh, we don't hear from the parents again, and, and Debbie gets angry at Moab. So we find out later all the signs that this actually was true. But Moab, why would they kill David as uh, David's parents? They did not probably uh, see Ruth in as positive a light as we saw her. In other words, Ruth is to them a traitor. So that could be one reason. Why does Nahash save his brother? Also, it's very hard to understand. It could be <clears throat> that Nahash is trying to get back at Shaul, because Shaul defeated him. So again, we have this like political power play. But let's talk about the aspect of this in the Hashkafic way. Why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu cause such a terrible thing to happen to David's family because he puts them in Moab? And here the Chazal sort of compare him to Yosef. It's very interesting. Yosef He's in the pit. He's in the dungeon. And <clears throat> when the, 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 the butler and the baker have their dreams, they, he tells the butler, you're going to be reinstated. Please remember me. And he forgets him. And he's two more years. Because I'll say two more years in jail because he asked for help. And this puzzles commentators because isn't that a part of Hishtadlus, asking someone for help? And isn't this, in this case, a similar kind of Hishtadlus? So interestingly enough, what the um, commentators answer is that a person on a certain level shouldn't have his Hishtadlus that he needs to come and ask for favors from wicked people and um, 
David is like Yosef looking for help in the wrong place. They should be relying on God, not on people, certainly not on, on evil people. So it's a very, very interesting life lesson for us to remember that our, our hishtadlis should be in the right places and we shouldn't be depending on, um, on evil people for favors. We should be depending on Hashem. But of course, it's, you know, we're not on the level of David and Yosef, so Hishtadlis is very much in place. Don't get me wrong here. It's very, very interesting and sad story. Okay, moving right along. Pasuk hey. Bayama God had Navi El David. Lote Sheba Mitsuda. So the Nabi God tells David, don't stay here in Mitsuda, in this stronghold, which probably overlooked the Dead Sea, which was near Moab. Go to the land of Yehuda, and David goes there and he stays in a yard that's called Charek. So back to our map. So this is the Mitsuda here, right? Overlooking the Dead Sea. The Nabi tells him, go back to Yehuda territory, to Yar I haven't found it on the map. For some reason, they didn't put it there. But the Medrash says that it was Charet, it was dry, and when David came, all the plants grew and blossomed, which is a, a very beautiful kind of image. Who is God? We have never met God before, but we have seen that Shmuel is withdrawing from the whole story. So probably we need to put in place uh, another Navi. As we see, once the, the era of the Shoftim ends, the, the kings work together with the Navi. So Shaul's Navi is Shmuel, he's the first king, and David actually works with two Naviyim, God, and later on we meet Natan. They are actually, um, they seem to both be working with David. It's not like God first, Natan later. They seem to be at the same time. Um, I did hear one analysis of that God is the one who gives him encouragement and um, help, and Natan is the one who gives him rebuke. So uh, they kind of divided up their nubby duties. Anyway, God tells him, go back to the land of Yehuda, and he goes to Yarachat. And <clears throat> We're going to switch now our focus to Shaul. Now we're going back to Shaul. So after all of this has happened, we see David establishing a kind of court in exile. He has his family. He has some brothers, the question mark. He has this 400 men who are loyal to him and not interested in Shaul. And now he has his very own prophet. So we are making progress. And one of the things that's interesting about the, the last part of Shmuel Aleph is how we see David develop into the leader that he becomes. He starts with this group. And you'll see in this parak. Um, quite an amazing example of his leadership. And Shaul hears that David no da David, and that's a very strange expression. What does it mean, no da? It means he's known. So there's different explanations of this. The simplest explanation is now his, the fact that David is no longer 
part of Scholl's, you know, household and his supporters has become known. David is now, it, you know, it, the secret is out. He is on the outs with, with Shaul. They are, um, they are uh, fighting each other. And it also becomes known that David has a band of fighters who will be with him. And Shaul is so aggravated by this situation. And he is sitting in the Giva, where his capital is, now, an eshel is a type of tree. Of course, it's darshan and bracious that Avram planted an eshel, achila whatever. That was Avram's uh, chesed, his chabad house. But here, ha'eshel berama, the medrash says, the tree of Shaul was Shmuel, who lived in Rama, and Shmuel was always davening for Shaul. And that's, that was the protection he had, that Shmuel did not stop davening for him. But there's a certain violence in the picture because he's sitting there under this tree, which is the literal meaning, and he's got a spear. Now, every time we saw Shaul with a spear, it did not end well. So this is not a good thing. And all of his servants are around him. Now, the spear, we've seen him attacked of it twice, attack Yonatan. The spear is the spirit, the bad spirit, the violent spirit. And you see, he is now in a really bad state. It doesn't even say that he's got the bad spirit. He's just, watch out. And he says to all his people that are standing around him, Shimona b'nei Listen, you Benjaminites, because all of his servants were from his tribe. You think that Ben Yishai is another way of putting David down. You think he's going to give you fields and vineyards? Right? He's going to make you offices? What did David promise you? Why are you in cahoots with David? He's so paranoid at this point that he's attacking all of his supporters and all of his relatives who are the Benyamini and saying, is David going to do anything for you? Why would you support David? You all conspired against me. Kesher is really a knot. It's a conspiracy. It's another word for uh, not and also a conspiracy. You all are conspiring. And nobody tells me. My son made a covenant with Ben Yishai. He's putting down Yonatan here. He's putting down David, right? He's mad at Yonatan. He's mad at David. They're in cahoots against me. None of you are sick about it. None of you are sorry about it. None of you are hurting for me. Nobody's goles as Nino is telling me anything. I'm in the dark here and all of my supporters are not helping me. And why don't you help me? There's something petulant here. He sounds like a crabby kid. Nobody's helping me. Nobody's on my side. What's the matter with you guys? Why don't you help me? My son is conspiring with my servant to attack me today. 
So he's come to the point, it's important to understand this, in his completely uh, taken over, his mind is taken over by hatred of David, by hostility, and now he thinks that Yonatan and David are conspiring to kill him. Nobody's telling me, nobody's helping me. Why don't you do anything now? All of his servants are standing there and you have to understand when you're dealing with someone who's not altogether there, it's kind of a hard thing. Like, what are you supposed to say? Yonatan back earlier tells his father, why would you kill David? What did he do? And it just made Shaul more angry. So anything they say to defend David or to defend Yonatan is just going to make Shaul angry. So they're, they don't know what to say. They're all standing there. And none of them is, it's not true. No one's conspiring against him. No one has had anything against him. No one's made any deals with David. And they're just standing there. Of course, there is one person who is uh, riled up by Shaul's anger, and he speaks up. And up pops this doeg ben adomi, right? Doeg ha adomi, I'm sorry. And he is uh, in charge of all of the servants of Shaul. And he says, I saw the son of Yishai again. I'll put down. I saw the son of Yishai. He came to Nov to Achimelech ben Achitov. He came to Nov to Achimelech, the son of Achitov. Prosecute. And he asked God for him, in other words, through the Urim Betumim, but gave him provisions. Gave him the sword of Goliath the Plishti. Now, uh, we have to talk about Doeg a little bit. This is just, um, we started this discussion and um, it's, it's very, very disturbing. Let's see. Second. Hmm. Okay. Um. Okay, so th this is the Perikin Tehillim. <coughs> where where David um, curses Doeg. This is Perik uh, Nunbet. Take a second and, and let's look at the Perik. David is saying a whole Maskeel, a whole um, enlightenment um, parak of Tehillim, a mizmor, about Doeg. Why are you so proud of being evil? God's kindness is always there. Your tongue plots bad things it's like a sharpened razor it is deceitful 
you like evil better than good. Your tongue, you 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 wouldn't say anything um, uh, just. Ahavta kol divrei bala l'shon mirma. You love all these um, words of of swallowing of destruction, words of deceit. And then he curses him. God should tear you down and rip you off from the from the tent and take your roots out of the land of the living. And uh, <clears throat> it's quite strong. Now the Medrash on this parak talks about doig. First of all, the Medrash talks about the evils of Lashon and it's a very, very important thing, and definitely one of our life lessons. The catastrophic results of Lashon Hara are really, really clear in this story. And the Chafetz Chaim talks about Lashon Hara, right? If we go back to our Pasuk, what does he say? Everything that Doeg says is true. He came to know. He came to Achimela. He asked, he asked God for him. He gave him food and he gave him the harem of Goliath. However, the Malbim goes into a whole discussion, which is really uh, beautiful, about how every, you know, the best, uh, the best lie contains truth and everything that Doeg says is intended to make Shaul angry at at Achimelech and it's kind of it's kind of strange if you think about it because you know he's going to get the Kohanim into terrible trouble but the fact that he hates David we spoke about this He's the one who tells Lashon Harbatav in chapter 16. He overpraises him so that Shaul will be jealous. He He's a troublemaker. But, okay, you can make trouble for David. What are you doing to the Kohanim here? Now, the whole conversation that we saw in the last paragraph with the Kohen, if you're standing there, now, Doeg is standing there, everything... That, Doeg, um, that David and Achimelech spoke to each other was open. It was out there. It, there was no secrets. It was like David came in with this bulmus we talked about. It's near starvation, near death. He said, I need food. I need food. And you know, Achimelech is like, why are you alone? He's like, I'm on a secret mission. He says, um, you know, the king sent me. I was in such a rush. I had no time. Okay, give me some food. Give me some food. So he, Gives him food, right? And then he says, oh, I need a sword. He doesn't say I need Goliath's sword. He says, I need a sword. So the only one we have is Goliath's sword. I'll take it, right? And then he says, it's over there by the Ormitim. Now, in Perik Chav uh, Aleph, it's not clear that Achimelech asks God for him, right? It's not clear. This is discussed here. And of course, David has to be very careful because. If you ask something from the Urmatumim and, you know, he get an answer that might expose this whole story to Achimelech, he doesn't want to do that. So that whole thing is a bit murky. Did he ask through the Urmatumim? Did he get answered? What does Achimelech know or not know? But what Doeg 
omits in his telling of the story is that David is starving. David comes to know not for Achimela. He doesn't have any, you know, he just comes to the house of God looking for food. And Achimel is the one he has the interchange with. He, it's not like he came to Achimel's house and they conspired in secret. And then he dafka one to the hair of Agolias. He misinterprets and presents everything in a way to make it look as if David and Achimel are in cahoots. He's helping him. He came to Achimelech. He gave him provisions. He asked him God for him. Now, you're only allowed to ask through the Urvatumim if you're a king. So basically, Achimelech is kind of making David king. All of these implications and all of these slanders are in the mouth of Doe. Now, the Medrash on the Tillim talks about Lashon here. And it says, Mavit v'chayim lashon, famous quote from Mishlei, death and life are their hands of the tongues. How terrible is Lashon Hara, right? Um, uh, a person who speaks Lashon Hara is throwing off the yoke of heaven, as it says in Yudbet, Asher amulu shoninu nagbir svatenu itanu mi adon lanu, Lashon Hara say, say nobody is our master, right? God forbid. Right? Talks about it in Kuvchaf also. Now, one of the questions that we didn't really talk about is why is Doe called Ha'edomi? Okay, so I found this for you in English in one of these books, so I wanted to show you. Here. Why is he called the Edomite? He was so named for his town. Okay, the assumption is that he came from Malea Dumim. Edomite can also mean red. He was called because he was jealous of David. He was also called Admoni. Doeg was not alone in his envy of David. All the members of his clan, the Zephim, Naval, Keilah, they're all jealous of David. Rabbi Abba said he was called an Edomi because he permitted the bloodbath at the priestly city of Nob. Rabbi Nachmani said he was called an Edomi because he issued a call for the murder, murder of David, who was Admoni, and he said his blood may be shed, his wife may marry another man. Bar Kapara said he was called an Edomi because he caused Shaul to sin by forbidding him to shed Agag's blood, etc., etc. You see that the the term Edomi is interpreted generally speaking as a um, metaphorical term, not that he was actually from the nation of Edo, but his actions are those of the nation of Edo. And so uh, he's one of these conundrums in Jewish history. Him and Achitofa later, who are they're always coupled together, although they lived at different times. There are people who are Talmidei Chachamim. They are great in Torah, and yet they are evil through and through. And Chazal talk about it, I think I showed you some of the sources last week, that Hashem doesn't want the scholarship and the brilliance. Right? Hashem wants a heart that is attuned to what Hashem says. 
And here you have a person who, with all of his Torah learning, is now going to perpetrate a terrible evil. And he puts it all as if, right, Achimelech is in cahoots with David, and it is all part of the plot. And he doesn't give any of the extenuating circumstances. He doesn't talk about how hungry David was. He doesn't talk about how he would have taken any sword. He doesn't explain that Shaul, you know, according to what David explained to Achimelech, Shaul was sending him a secret mission. In other words, it was obvious to anybody who was standing there that the whole exchange between Achimelech and David was completely innocent on Achimelech's part. And absolutely no intention. He thinks David is, is well, David, what's the problem? But Shaul is enraged, convinced that they're out to get him. How's it get out they're all brought to the king's presence. Now, again, is a derogatory way of addressing that you are talking to the Kohen Gadol. This is a very important person. And Shaul treats him like dirt. Listen up, son of Achituv. And he says, here I am, my master. Achimelech is so, so in for a shock. He has no idea what's coming to him. Here I am. This is a modest and humble reply. Here I am. Plus he can give him a yo, my love Shaul. Why did you conspire against me, you and the son of Yishai? Again, putting down David, he won't say his name. You gave him bread, you gave him a sword, you asked God for him. You are uh, uh, making a plot against me today. You're, you're out to get me, you're ambushing me today. And <coughs> Everything that Doeg said was true, and everything he said was a great big lie. So whenever anybody says, you know, you say, well, that's Lush and Howard, I say, but it's true. It's, it doesn't matter. And so much of it is how it's presented. And Achimelech is floored. He did not expect this. He doesn't know what Shaul's talking about. Who, who is loyal to you among your servants like David? Like he's just he's just completely clueless. He's your son-in-law. He does all of your commands. And he's honored. He's honored. Now the Malmu goes through a list of how each one of these things is showing that David has no reason to rebel. Number one. If he was a natural rebel, he's not. He's a man. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a loyal guy. And not only that, but he's Chatan Lamelech. Why would he, you know, rebel? He's your son-in-law. And if he was a part of a group who was against you, but he's not. He always listens to you. And he's honoring your house. He doesn't need any more honor. Why would he? He's like completely now. The Das Mikra points out 
that telling Shaul how great David is is not really going to be a good way to appease Shaul. It didn't work for Yonatan. Yonatan said, like, what did he do? Why would you want to kill him? What did he do? And Shaul gets angrier, wants to kill Yonatan. So now Achimelech's standing there going, but, but you can understand that Achimelech is completely at a loss. But David, nobody knew anything about this until now. Nobody knew what was in Shaul's mind. He's like, but David? David, our general? David, your son-in-law? David, what are you talking about? This is the first time I asked God for him. Now, <clears throat> there's many ways of interpreting this phrase, but I'm going to go with, this is a question. Is this the first time I asked God for him? <coughs> no. In other words, I asked God for David for you. Whenever you sent David to me, it was, you know, if you wanted to ask something, I would do that for him, but not because for David, I did it for you. Is this like, this is a new thing? Halilali. And halilali said means it's, it's it would be a disgrace for me to go against. Please don't put on me or my house or my father anything. I knew zero about this. I knew nothing, not little and not great. And he's like, he's standing there. You can imagine how true he is and how sincere he is. I have no idea that this is going on. What are you talking about? And Shaul's response is, You will surely die, Achimelech. You and the whole house of your father, like, he's not interested in he's not interested in excuses. His mind is made up. You are conspiring against me, and in his twisted and 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 possessed, paranoid mind, they almost died. They almost died, not just the whole family. Now, what's the point of killing the whole family? Okay, and something that we have to understand, this is a kind of, you know, a rotten thing that they would do, is that make an example of this family. Like no one else should ever dare to rebel. And this actually is very effective because later on we see people who really might help David and who are too scared. They're too scared to help David and they, they tell on him and all this stuff. It's not such a simple story. And, you know, Achimelech, he's just like finished. I, nothing to say. David wants, uh, wants to kill him. And he says to the Ratzim, now Ratzim are generally footmen, like in the Megillah, Megillah to Esther, a Ratzim. But they're standing above him, and it's like all of his officers, the uh, strange command, turn around, surround them, and kill all the Kohenim of God, because they conspired with David, they were handless with him, and they knew that he was running away, they didn't tell me, and his servants are like stunned. The servants are saying, this is, this is not, they don't want to do that. 
We do not want to do this. Now, Rashi has an interesting comment here. Rashi says, these Ratzim Hanitzavim, right, these officers, like he, he decept, you know, he seems to say that there were Ratzim and they were Nitzavim, and he's, he names them Avner, who was Shaul's commander in chief, Avner ben Ner's first cousin, and Amasa ben Yasser, two great officers of Shaul, and they're no, no. Lo avu, darshu achin rakim. Okay, so what does this mean? In Sefer Yeshua, at the beginning of Sefer Yeshua, the first chapter, the two and a half tribes say to Yeshua what becomes a sort of law of kings, right? anyone who, who goes against your life, right, he, he has to die. So that a king has the right, this is brought down in the Rambam, a king has the right to put to death anyone who rebels against him. He doesn't have to kill them, but he has the right to do that. But there it says, whenever there's a rock or an ach, you see here, Dorshu ach and rock. Rock chazak ve'ematz only. In other words, that's an exception. You cannot command people to do something that's against Torah and they don't have to comply with that. So Amas and Yasser, according to Rashi, are making the decision that because Shaul wants to do something that is against Torah, they see in front of them Achimelech's confusion. They know the whole thing's a lie. Probably, my guess would be that no one has a lot of affection for Doeg and that people really feel that he can't be trusted. And they're standing there objectively saying, this makes no sense. To kill the Kohanim? They're not just anybody. They're Kohanim Hashem. These are the priests of God. This is an act of tremendous chutzpah. They, they're not doing it. I'm sorry. Shaul, no, I've come. Amalu says they knew the whole thing was a lie. What is the lie? And their Barbanel says, it's just plain evil. It's just plain wrong. I said, I'm not doing that. He's a great man, and they refuse to do what the king says. That could get them in trouble also, but they're not prepared to do that. It's interesting, the, the Talmud Yushalmi says that they were ready to resign. They were just ready to leave their posts. They said, we don't want to work for you anymore if you're going to do a thing like this. But Shaul cannot be deterred, Pasigilchet, by Yomamel Ledoeg, Sovatau Pagaba Kohanim. And he says to Doeg, you kill them. You turn and kill them. Terrific, horrible tragedy. Doeg, you know, the it, it says in the Torah, Yad Aidim to Yebo Barishana, the Malva brings this classic. That if you are the witness who sa- who says this person is guilty of a capital crime. You'll be the first one to um, attack this wrongdoer. And Doeg is not deterred. Doeg goes ahead and kills 85 Kohanim who wore the linen ephod, which is despicable. Now, the word Doeg is spelled here in Doeg, right? Two midrashim about that. One is that he was caught like a dog. He was fish. 
Now, you can't say, I didn't mean it because now, and don't forget, Joey is also problematic. How come you didn't speak up till now if you saw a problem there? So Doe has to prove his loyalty to Shaul, and that's what he thinks he's doing here. The other Midrash says that Hashem, when he first saw Doe in his position, he was Doeglo, he worried. And afterwards he was saying, bye, bye, whoa, whoa, what he did. But no irakonim he and the city of Nov, the Kohenim, he struck by the sword from man to woman, from young child to suckling babies and oxen and donkeys and sheep by the sword. Now, if we compare this, which is so disturbing, to Paraket Vav, the command God gives Shaul to kill a Molech. The words are deliberately the same. Now, here in our Pasuk, we don't have any camels there. Okay? Because that camels were from Amalek you know, tent dwellers, the Kohen didn't have any camels. But the language is so the same. What's going on here? So the many from Kohelet says, chapter 7 of Kohelet. Don't be more righteous than your creator. We're talking about Shaul. When Shaul came to Amalek, he started saying, how can I kill the men, the women, the children? How can I do that? And a voice came from heaven. Don't be such a tzaddik. Don't be more of a tzaddik than your God who told you what to do. And he made a whole shikol Torah with Eglai Rufa, and this was all instigated by Doeg. But look what happens. Rabbi Shimon ben Lachim Shomir, kol mishinasa rachman, bimkom achzari, soshinasa achzari, bimkom rachman. Any person who is merciful to the cruel will eventually be cruel to the merciful. And how do we know that? Because it says he killed Ira Kohanim. And don't think that Nov is like a Molik. And the rabbi said, any person who does that, who is merciful instead of uh, cruel, he will be struck with the Mita Sadin as we find out that Shaul and his three sons die. And this is a very terrible thing here. Okay, here. Okay, um, let me get back to this in a minute. Let's just talk about that for a second because we see this. This is not something that we haven't seen. We live in an age where people are so twisted, you know, people are so twisted that they don't understand that mercy should be given to innocent people and not to guilty people. And when you have um, misplaced mercy, it's going to rebound. And there are so many examples of this that we can't even like list them just in, in any kind of court system 
where you don't punish a murderer or a rapist properly and you let them go, there will be another victim. Another innocent person will suffer because you didn't give this person a good judgment. And we see that, you know, I, I don't want to get political here, but we gave so much to these horrible people. Look, look what they did. Look, they were cruel to the, to the Rachmanim. It, it's just mind-boggling how, you know, the chasal, the wisdom of this and how, what a tremendous lesson it has. And don't think, Kohela says, don't think you have more mercy than God. If God says this person must be eradicated, and here we're in the same funk now, because the, the what did it take to wake up our nation to say we have to eradicate the enemy, the terrorists, and meantime on the side, all these crocodile tears and all these people, no one gives up two hoots about Palestinians murdered by the Lebanese, the Syrians, the Jordanians. Nobody gives two, two cents worth of care about any of the Palestinians in any Arab country, right? And when all of a sudden they're crying big crocodile tears over the Palestinians that have to, that are in the way of the terrorists and are probably big supporters of the terrorists. Okay, off the soapbox, let's just finish the parak. I'm sorry. One more comment here. Shigata Olezadon. Gedola Legima. Another one of our important lessons. Okay. Don't ever forget to feed people. Because Amara. El Malay Hilvahu Yahonatal David Shte Kikra Lechem Lonerga Novia Kohanim. Lonitra Doiga Domi Lonerak Shol Shoshabana. If Yonatan had just given David a little bit of bread. He wouldn't have had to go to Nov. Nov wouldn't have been killed. Doeg wouldn't have ended up with that Olam Haba <coughs> and Shalna's sons wouldn't have died. Now, roll this all back because God's justice is all very, very well constructed. And don't forget that these are all descendants of Ailey. And Ailey's house is under a curse. So what happens in Nov, which is a tremendous tragedy, and there's so many layers of blame that we could put here on Doeg, on Shaul, on Yonatan. We're sticking blame on Yonatan. Let's not forget that Kodesh Baruch Hu has this all figured out. Let's just finish the parak. One son of Achimelech, the son of Achitu, this makes him a great grandson of Eli, great, great, right? Abiatar, the son of Achimelech, the son of Achitu, the son of Pinchas, right? The son of Eli. And his name's Abiatar, which is interesting. Av Yatar, the one who remained, the father who remained, and he ran away to David, which is a logical place. And he comes to them and tells them this horror story. I knew that Doeg was there. I knew he would tell Shaul. It's all my fault. 
I was the cause of the death in your father's house. Blessed Chokimel. Shvaiti, Altira, stay with me. Don't be afraid. Stick with me. I will protect you with my life. Anyone who comes after you will be coming after me. Now, why does David take responsibility? Some people criticize, criticize David for not for putting Achimelech in danger by asking him for help when he sees David there. I would give David a little bit of kafzachut here because even if you don't like Doe, even if you think that he's not on your side, who can imagine that this would be the result? Who can imagine that Shaul would go so far as to kill all the Kohanim? It's it's just not comprehensible in any way. But David does something that Shaul never did. He takes responsibility immediately. It's all my fault. I'm going to do what I can to make it up for you. And you see here, and I mentioned to you at the beginning of this chapter, we see the growth of David as a leader. He takes his people in. Now he's got the same, he's got the court in exile. He's got the family. He's got the supporters. He's got a Navi. Now he has a Kohen. He has the whole setup here. And he himself is growing. We're going to watch David grow into his leadership role. And here, when there is a crisis, he says, I take responsibility. And I think that's something that all of us sitting here in Israel, I don't know, um, in Chutzlaritz, if you could feel what we're feeling, somebody should stand up and say, it's all my fault. And if a person doesn't have the guts to do that, the people will judge that. We know that back at a time when Shaul was messing up, when Shmuel said, why didn't you wait for me? He says, oh, the Christians were coming and the people were this and that. And then we didn't kill Amalek. He says, well, you know, the people want the people. Shaul never takes responsibility. That's one of the biggest issues. And now we look at David as a contrast. And David's like, it's all my fault. It isn't David's fault. He might have had a part in it the same way that Jonathan had a part in it. An unintentional part in it. Who did this? Shaul did this. Doeg did this, right? But David takes responsibility. And that's that's true leadership. That's the greatness of David. And I just want to make one comment here. Is my sister on there, Debbie? Um, about Yonatan and the bread. <laughs> when we grew up, our mother used to say, and my Yiddish is terrible, a zipman, givement, a crankman, fragman. A healthy person, you give them food. A sick person, you can ask them. So very often, my mother would say, if anyone comes in, give them food. Don't ask questions. Put the food down. They don't have to eat it. But if you say to someone who comes in and you say, would you like a cup of coffee? You say, no. They always say, no. They're being polite. Put it down. Let it sit there and get cold. Let them drink it if they want it. Feed people. Because shigigato lezadon. If you make a mistake in, in hospitality, it could cause a very great problem. And Chazala critic, critical of Yonatan who was in his own tempest of emotions and didn't think about what David was going to be going through and all of these terrible things 
Exit Galgale. I kept you a little bit late. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop the screen share. But remember, hospitality and have no mercy on evil people. Big mistake. All righty. Anybody want to unmute and anyone have questions? Kind of a heavy parrot. It's a little bit heavy. Yeah. Sad. Try to figure out what motivates what motivates Doeg. He seems to be very, very jealous of David. Very jealous of Shaul. He wants the power for himself. Hard one. Just a rotten person. 